We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Nick Whalen. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, if you could leave us a nice review, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, it just takes a minute or two, and it really goes a long way to support this podcast. Got some top news items we're going to get to from the weekend and from early Monday morning. Also going to take a look at some job battles. Jim Coventry wrote up an article on the site recently. We'll kind of make our predictions as to who we think is going to come out on top in some pretty key spots, and it's going to be more of a snap answer, some some analysis mixed in, but mostly mostly just names, mostly just uh, mostly just facts. That's what we do on this podcast. We just spit straight facts. 
And talk Jags. And talk Jags. A lot. Sometimes those two overlap. Oftentimes they don't. Most most times they don't. But it's kind of like a Venn diagram. There is some overlapping space there. Uh, let's talk about these top of news items. DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> you've listed him as the third best receiver in the AFC South. Uh, he's ended a holdout. It was a one-day holdout. Yeah, yeah there, there's the fact <laughs> right there. That's the first one. Uh, ends his holdout after one day. I don't think he really had any leverage. So it's, uh, Yeah, I think he... We talked about this last week and how kind of ill-conceived it kind of seemed to be you know there, there just really wasn't much leverage in this situation whatsoever he's signed through this season he also is signed through next season you know certainly the texans are aware of how well he's you know outperformed this rookie deal but at the end of the day this is the contract that he signed right i think where it becomes a problem is this time next year yes. if he has another big season maybe by then the texans will agree to some kind of extension with deandre hopkins to avoid what would probably be a much longer holdout right. when it's all said and done but i don't really see any reason to be concerned about no. hopkins uh from from a holdout standpoint at this going forward but you do wonder when you look at deandre hopkins you know does he deserve to be a first round pick right now based on last year's production he does but there are some changes to that offense Lamar Miller's there as we talked about uh, going through uh, the AFC South a couple weeks ago now and you think about the receiving core Will Fuller added to the mix Brock Osweiler's an upgraded quarterback so maybe the efficiency goes up even if the volume goes down and ultimately it's more of the same in terms of fantasy output for DeAndre Hopkins even if he's doing it a different way. Yeah, I think it'll be about the same. Um, you know, like you said, you'd like that efficiency to go up. This is a guy who dropped a decent amount of balls last year, but yeah, I think the additions of, of Fuller and, and even Braxton Miller, who it wouldn't really surprise me if we don't see a ton of Braxton Miller this year. I, I think you know it's, it's important to remember this is really only his second full season, uh, one at the college level, and now of course this at the NFL level, playing the receiver position and. Uh, and there'll still be some adjustments to make there. So I think the addition of Fuller is what's going to be bigger uh, for DeAndre Hopkins. I think that takes a little bit of the pressure off of him. But I look at this situation kind of similar to, to the one that Osweiler was in in Denver last year, where the, the quarterback game really can't be much worse than it was. And Houston was a playoff team last season, and Brian Hoyer does deserve some credit for that. But the bar was set pretty low, uh, and Hopkins was still able to put up those numbers with you know uh, basically a, a QB3 you know, running that offense. If that, QB3 if that, might even that be might a stretch. Be, yeah, that might be a little generous. It's rounding up a bit. Uh, 7.9 yards per target last year from Hopkins, the lowest of his three NFL seasons. So I think we do see some improvement there. And again, if that target volume dips by 20 targets, he might be able to offset that pretty easily by getting back to the eight and a half. Right. You know, maybe even the low nines range with that yards per target number. 9.5 yards per target was the best mark of his career back in 2014. Uh, some other news items to get to, the Niners quarterback competition, which we'll talk about in more detail. Right now, Blaine Gabbert, Colin Kaepernick splitting reps. We'll see if that holds up all the way through like week three of the preseason. Seems like a job battle that will linger on for quite some time. Get our take on that in just a few minutes. But Jay Ajayi, this one is actually kind of a big deal to me in that he's dealing with a bone bruise in his knee. It's the other knee. I think the right knee was long time the, the concern mm-hmm. for Jay Ajayi from a health standpoint. Uh, this is the left knee that's got the bone bruise. So it may not be a big deal, but what it does is it opens up the door for Arian Foster to get more reps if he gets more reps and improves the Dolphins new coaching staff you have to wonder if what we thought would be kind of a pass catching first sort of role for Arian Foster might just morph into something more yeah this Dolphins situation um you know I think we talked about it a week or two ago prior to the Foster signing you know we I think we were both pretty high on Ajayi and and even though he didn't really do much as a rookie I, I think you looked at the situation and it was kind of an obvious one to target now it 
you know, it's certainly muddled. We don't know what we're going to get out of Arian Foster. He could play four games and get hurt, and that could be it. You know, he he could you know take this opportunity, like you said, with the Jai slowed at the beginning of camp, uh, to, you know, to kind of grab a hold of what might be the larger share of this workload. Uh, on the XM show on Saturday, Mario said he's just staying away uh, from this this Dolphins running back situation altogether. Um, I mean, does it have the makings to you of something you maybe stay away from on draft night? But you know, we see this team play through the month of September, and then you kind of maybe try to pounce on one of these two guys, depending on how it shakes out. I think it would be more of a scenario where if Ajayi gets dropped after being a mid-late round right, pick, right. and Foster has the job to begin the year, you could see Foster getting hurt because durability has been a big problem for him, and then Ajayi having a lot of value at that time. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I, I do think avoiding the situation is ideal. If I had to invest in one of the backs, I'd rather invest in Arian Foster at this point because I think we did see a guy that was still very capable of catching passes last year. He went over 100 yards from scrimmage in two of the three games that he played. The yards per carry number was pretty bad, but Houston had some problems, I think, in the run-blocking facet yeah. last year, too. Part of it is that the other backs behind Foster weren't very good, but I think there was some uh, some problems as far as just how exactly they were handling things up front. So that should be at least slightly better, if not significantly better, for Foster in Miami. It's a situation, though, where maybe in an auction, I'm more likely to throw a few bucks at Foster than I am to throw that mid-round pick, that 8th, ninth, 10th round pick, whatever it ends up being. And that, that price could continue to go up uh, the longer a Jai is forced to miss time with what maybe is only a minor injury. But given his history with the other knee, we just can't be sure that the Dolphins are, are giving us the full scope of the problem at this point. Yeah, and you know, just kind of to wrap up, up this point, I think Jai is completely unproven. Arian Foster is proven, but the injury history is what what really I guess is unproven about him. And it, I, I think you know to kind of double down on on what I said about what Mario said, I should say on the show. I'm just going to avoid this situation, especially in drafts. I mean, I guess if if you're in the you know somebody falls, one of these two guys falls to you know tenth, eleventh round, something like that, maybe you just take a stab on it. But I don't think this is a team that you should be targeting uh, as far as this backfield. I just think generally people are looking at the Dolphins as a team that could take a pretty big step forward under uh, Adam Gaze this year as their head coach. It's not ridiculous because there is a lot of young talent on the roster. Not that Foster fits that description, but it's one of the positions that they need to shore up with a proven commodity and well, that is true. That is the point too of uh, you know when you have a team like this, and this this certainly isn't a New England offense. You know, plug and play where, or even you know Pittsburgh. We talk about with the receiver position where you kind of know there's going to be value. Whoever gets that wide receiver two job in Pittsburgh, whether it's Wheaton, whether it's Coates, whether it's Hayward Bay, you know there's going to be value there. I don't know if Miami's quite to that point where you can say you know based on the scheme based on the coaching based on how good this team might be um you know there's value at at whoever kind of wins this job i don't know if they're quite to that point for me where you can just kind of plug and play yeah i think i think if the carries get distributed in a way where it's you know more than 50 50 in favor of one guy and then if it's foster you're talking about a lot of the pass catching opportunities too there is a pretty big Mm -hmm. uh, source of value to be had but you shouldn't have to pay that much to get it uh, Matt Forte still has not practiced as a member of the Jets due to a minor hamstring issue. I mean, this has to linger on into the middle of the month before I'm going to be concerned. I think we're talking about a veteran player who's going to make a pretty smooth transition. And given the the way that Jets offense is built, you know, you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick back under center. Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker is your primary two weapons in the passing game. Maybe we see a little more from Jason Morrow after the year layoff. Of course, he had a torn labrum, but we didn't see him get used a ton as a rookie back in 2014. There should be a good number of targets for Forte. Chris Ivory gone, so Forte getting a lot of those carries. I mean, 
I know the age is going to probably chip away at just how efficient he has been earlier in his career, but volume-wise, I think you have to like Forte and his setup. Yeah, I'm not too worried about this injury. I mean, we see you see listings like this, you know, the first week of camp all over the league and, you know, in, until it lingers, like you said, into the middle of camp or into the middle of preseason. That's when you can maybe start to worry a little bit. But yeah, I mean, with no Chris Ivory in New York, I'm not too worried about Bilal Powell, you know, creeping up on Matt Forte, Kyrie Robinson, Bernard Pierce, just kind of just kind of guys you know basically that's that's the only way I can describe them I, I don't think there's there's much competition there for Forte the Jets are kind of going all in for this season um you know I, I certainly don't see them as a Super Bowl caliber team but you got Fitzpatrick on a one-year deal you got two veteran receivers at the top you got a veteran running back who you know really at this point in Matt Forte's career any year could be his last good year uh with, with the shelf life of running backs in the modern day NFL so you know, I, I don't know if they necessarily see Matt Forte as a long-term solution. Certainly they shouldn't. Um, but on a year-by-year basis, if you're just looking at him for 2016, I think he's a great option. I mean, do you think the Jets are better than the Dolphins and the Bills? I think those three are, are all kind of in the same tier for me. I, I mean, the Dolphins certainly look better after the coaching change last season, but I, I, don't see, I don't know how you can look at that team and say, you know, New England might falter those first four games. Maybe they're the team to jump them. I, I think New England, even with the Brady suspension, is far and away the number one team in the AFC East. Wouldn't surprise me a ton if you know if Buffalo won eight or nine games. I think that's kind of the ceiling for all these teams, though, right? I mean, the Jets, the Jets maybe have the slightly highest ceiling. I think they have the best kind of solidified skill position players uh, i guess is the best way to put it um to the point where I, I think you know if they won 11 games it wouldn't be a huge huge shock whereas if the bills won 11 games or the dolphins won 11 games uh, i think that's something that you would look at as pretty shocking but I mean, this jets team is coming off of a 10 win year in, in which you could argue that they they did underachieve at times yeah i look at this as a pretty well coached team i think todd bowles is a good coach the defense is going to be solid with health, I think they've got a chance to actually get one of the wild cards, but I really don't see a scenario outside of a, a devastating Tom Brady injury post-suspension that allows the Jets to actually be a better mm-hmm. team than the Patriots this year, even with Brady missing four games. like that's It levels the playing field a little bit, but not enough to where I'd even want to which is kind of crazy isn't it? It. i mean it's nuts the, like, the, the hands down best player in the division misses a quarter of the season and it really doesn't impact anything i mean it, it, just, it makes it instead of the patriots winning the division by three games they win it by like one and a half right roughly exactly. like that's, that's the projection difference so whether it's one or two mm-hmm. you know, take your pick but uh taking a look at some other headlines here marquise lee sideline with a hamstring injury already already um I, I, at this point i would almost be more surprised if he wasn't sidelined with the hamstring injury Fair enough. It's been a rough, uh, rough start to the NFL career of Marquise Lee. One injury after another. Uh, I know at one point is Greg Olson still their offensive coordinator. I believe so. He's he's the guy that uh, compared Marquise Lee being on the practice field to seeing the albino tiger at the zoo <laughs> because of how rare both of those events are. I mean, like that's not exactly what you're looking for. I I like the Jags' weapons in the passing game. We've talked a lot about them over the last year plus but the bottom line is Marquise Lee to me is just a lottery ticket I don't see fantasy value there and I I just don't know how much he'll actually get on the field for this Jacksonville team so I don't see any reason to take the chance on him as like your last receiver and you got Robinson Hearns Rashad Green should be on the field a lot as a slot receiver and they have healthy Julius Thomas it's one or the other I think between Green and Lee if Lee's healthy I think you know this has kind of been his job to lose since he came into the league he just hasn't been able to stay healthy Green looked all right you know in limited work in the slot I think he's going to be more of a special teamer uh in the punt and kick return game certainly not someone you're going to be targeting I mean in the 
the unlikely event that Marquise Lee is able to stay healthy for 16 games and in the you know relatively equally unlikely event that Blake Bortles throws 35 touchdowns again you know then maybe you can uh, kind of associate some of that value with Marquise Lee but like you said with Robinson and Hearn sucking up so many targets Julius Thomas presumably sucking up a lot of those red zone targets and then the improved red zone running game I mean so much of Bortles value and so much of Robinson's value came in the red zone last year because this team just could not run the ball uh, inside the 20 so I think that that their value for Marquise Lee certainly isn't there in drafts I mean not a guy that you should really be touching in almost any format um, but someone to keep an eye on as the year goes on, if he is able to st- stay healthy. But I mean, like you said, a Hail Mary uh, type of pick at the very best. I mean, if you were in a, a deep dynasty league, like a 20 team dynasty league where right. you hold I mean, over rosters, he might still be owned there. That's that's the construct of know. where I, Marquise Lee would be owned. And then I'd be thinking about letting him go mm-hmm. to get someone like the next guy we're going to talk about, like Sammy Coates, who's in better shape right. to begin training camp uh, year two. I'm not completely sold on Marcus Wheaton. I know there's a lot to like about any receiver opposite Antonio Brown in Todd Haley's offense in Pittsburgh. But at the same time, to me, Sammy Coates is the guy compared to uh, Marcus Wheaton who has the the better physical tools, right? The Mm -hmm. size-speed combo you look for in a game-changing receiver. I mean, Martavis Bryant's absence opens up a lot downfield. And if, if Coates can gel with Ben Roethlisberger, I think he's a kind of an interesting deep sleeper type. Yeah, I think this is kind of Wheaton's job to lose. But you look at Sammy Coates, he's a more physical, bigger wide receiver, like you said, in better shape, which isn't surprising, you know, as he gets his kind of first full offseason uh, to prepare as an NFL player. I mean, this is a guy, what do you have, one catch last season, two catches? Got one ball, one two ball. targets. So, I mean, there's just there's really not much to work with. Obviously, he was a good college player, a uh, guy who had a lot of success in, in a tough SEC conference. But, you know, to me, I'm not quite ready to put my faith in him. I would still lean towards Marcus Wheaton if I'm trying to target that wide receiver, too, with no Martavis Bryant. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, if you're comparing him to a guy like Marquise Lee, like you said, you know, a probable wide receiver three type of type of guy i think i'd give coach the edge you know there's, there's a lot of receivers like that uh you know in that 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 kind of third tier uh, i guess as you start to move beyond your top two guys and the pittsburgh offense certainly gives them a boost as well yeah, i think if you're in like a 14 team league pretty deep benches coach might be one of your last receivers that you take mm-hmm. and therefore he could be your first cut once you get to the season if he's not being used early on the way you mm-hmm. want him to be used i mean it could also be a case where it takes him another half season to really get into a position where he is trusted for a significant number of snaps and where Ben Roethlisberger does begin to target him mm-hmm. on a regular basis. But just, you look at DHB and Marcus Wheaton, and you see an opportunity for a guy that the Steelers invested a third-round pick in just a year ago uh, in Sammy Coates. Some good news from Steelers camp. Le'Veon Bell fully participating in practices over the weekend, of course, coming off of MCL and PCL tears. Uh, so that he's out there and not limited at all bodes very well. Of course, the question that we're all waiting on is, will Roger Goodell change or reverse the suspension he was given? The general consensus in this office and on this podcast seems to be that Goodell won't change anything. I don't see why he would, although Bell kind of maintains that he believes he's going to be out there week one. I guess that's what he's supposed to say. Yeah, he's he's insistent upon uh, the fact that he is going to be cleared. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition in the next. Well, couple either of way, weeks. this is good. You know, it's a good sign if he does miss one game, two game, three games, four games. 
you know, he already looks like the injury is not going to be an issue whenever he is back. Right. That's that's the main takeaway here with Bell being on the pr- mm-hmm. on the practice field for full participation on Friday and Saturday. Uh, Amir Abdullah has been increasing his activity over the weekend as he comes back from labrum surgery. Did see an article or a, a snippet of an article at least that was suggesting that the Lions, a running back coach, is okay with the team not having a one thousand yard rusher. It's a weird statement for a running backs coach to make, but I think the ultimate takeaway is that they don't necessarily feel as though they have to commit to one back. It's kind of to me is just reading between the lines, their way of saying, hey, if it's an extreme committee where we're using Abdullah and Ridley and Riddick, yep. that's fine. We don't care. We're going to do what makes our offense go. Right. And if, if that means Amir Abdullah gets 180 carries instead of 250 carries, so be it. Isn't it frustrating when teams just completely go against fantasy value? Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's How are you not taking this into account? No, I mean, I, they, it makes sense, right? I mean, they don't. There's not, not really any inherent benefit to the Detroit Lions for pounding Amir Abdullah and getting him over a thousand yards. You know, I mean, I, I don't know what that does for them necessarily as a franchise. Certainly, you know, the higher the yardage total, probably the better the offense looks. But whether it's Abdullah, whether it's Ridley, whether it's Zach Zenner, whether it's Theo Riddick, like you said it really doesn't matter to them so I mean for us obviously people trying to evaluate these guys it is very frustrating um but I'm, I'm not high in this Detroit running back situation or this Detroit offense really overall outside of Golden Tate are you a pretty big fan of the game categories I think so I've, I don't think I've played that in a long time yeah, Wait, can we get a quick refresher on what categories is so categories is the game where you usually play with at least four people everyone mm-hmm. has a list of different uh topics you roll a dice. It's got a bunch of letters on it. Whatever letter comes up, you got to match a word that begins with that letter to each of the topics during the three minutes that you get to play. It's a timed game. Mm-hmm. And you get a point for every one that you don't match with someone else, assuming oh, okay, that okay. if it's vegetables that you actually do write a vegetable that starts with the letter Z, if mm-hmm. Z is the letter. Well, if you get athletes and you get a Z, obviously Zach Zenner is your two-point answer. You right. get two points if you got multiple words, mm-hmm. three if you get three words, whatever. You know, It's a pretty okay. simple game. People yeah. are pretty familiar with it, I hope. But Can confirm I am a fan of categories. Yeah, right. So uh, Zach Zenner, good for categories. Maybe not good for carrying the ball. We'll see what he does with the Lions mm-hmm. this year. There was some buzz on him in the middle of last season or late part of last year that he might actually get carries. I'm like, really? That's kind of surprising. But you never, you never want to hear the word Zach Center and buzz in, in the same sentence. It's a lot of Zs. Uh, Reggie Bush may become a Buffalo Bill. Last I checked, he was kind of going through the final process, or his agent was going through the final process necessary to make that happen. Injuries slowed him last year. Only had a handful of touches of San Francisco. His final season in Detroit wasn't nearly as productive as his first one. I mean, this to me seems like a just a depth move that, the name value there is is going to be one where people are going to see it scroll by on TV right. when it happens, and they're going to think, "Oh, well, Reggie Bush is going to be useful for the Bills." He's back for me. It's just they just want a veteran yeah. who's not going to be awful if Lashawn McCoy goes down with an injury. I think Lashawn McCoy's workload looks really safe, especially in the beginning of the season with Carlos Williams suspended. Mm-hmm. At the last we've seen of Reggie Bush, he was falling on concrete in St. Louis. Correct. Yeah, was that when they had the like the around the stadium, like the around the ring of the it was field? Like a track, kind of. Yeah, like there's like a tarp over it or whatever. Yeah. I I still can't figure out why there's any surface adjacent to the field of play that isn't part of like the tunnel far away from where the field right? ends. And if it wasn't that far off, you know, it wasn't like you looked at Reggie Bush and like, what are you doing, man? How did you fall? It was like, how is this? slippery concrete this close to the field yeah. for a guy who's running full speed he didn't pull a forrest gump and like score and then run all the way down the tunnel and then like fall on his way to the locker room 
Uh, not, not familiar with that movie. Yeah, I know. I I know you're not familiar with. I think you brought Gump. that up on purpose. I I I hope that you'd it? accidentally seen it at some point. Being targeted. You are you are being targeted because your consumption of films is puzzling to uh, to put it nicely. Shocking. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our job battles again. Uh, check out the article on the site. Jim Coventry wrote it up. Rotowire.com slash pod, P-O-D. If you want to get a free 10-day trial, if you're not currently a subscriber, you can do that. No credit card is required. Let's take a look at some of the quarterback battles. Cleveland's one that's shaping up to be a lot more interesting, in large part because Josh Gordon could be reinstated after his four-game suspension. As a result, RG3 versus Josh McCowan versus Cody Kessler, sort of. Like, I, I don't think Kessler's a serious candidate for the job. It, it's it's a job battle, but for me, I'm like 90-10 that it's Griffin and that he's going to keep the job as long as he's healthy. Uh, you also did not mention Austin Davis, who, who I believe is as, as firmly in this competition as Cody Kessler is. Never um, heard of him. No, I mean, I think it's RG3 and McCown. Um, and, and I don't know how much clout Josh Gordon holds with this organization i would guess it's pretty low at this point but if it's up to him it's going to be rg3 i mean they have that connection uh obviously rg3 never played with Corey coleman at baylor but uh if if that is if it is rg3's job ultimately it it would be kind of cool to see him line up uh, alongside those two other baylor guys but this offense uh, i think you know the presence of duke johnson was about the only bright spot that it had uh you know when we were talking in early may they add Corey Coleman, exciting receiver, the first receiver taken in the draft. RG3, you know, in the vein of Reggie Bush, still a name. You know, certainly not as old as Reggie Bush and not as, you know, theoretically past his prime as Reggie Bush. But, you know, if you're talking from a storyline perspective, from a keep things interesting perspective, um, you know, Robert Griffin is certainly going to do that more than a Josh McCown is. Um, so I think as fans, as fantasy players, I think RG3 winning this job and keeping this job is the most fun scenario. Oh, by far. Close, I mean, that's right? what if you're a Browns fan, that's what you want because right. it's like Josh, you know you know this isn't going to be a good year. Like at if everything breaks your way, you probably win six games. The only way you're even in the hunt for a playoff spot is if RG three is your starter and right. he plays well all year and stays healthy. That's that. There, yeah, there's just, no other scenario based on the talent you have on that roster where you make the playoffs and he's not your starter for the bulk of your games. I mean, the ceilings for all four of these guys, you know, McCown, Kessler, Davis, you know, they're all, you know, if we're playing Madden, the best they ever get is like 80 overall. I mean, RG3, we, you know, we've seen him. I don't know. Have current, you're giving me a smirk. Have current Madden ratings gone up or down? I, you know, I, like it's I was, an 82 I, No, I was actually thinking about Austin Davis's Madden rating and I don't know. Is, wondering, like, is it above 50? Well, there's so many vacillations. You know, like some, they would kind of change it year to year, where like some years there'd be like a bunch of 99 overall guys, and then the next year the best player on the game is like, you know, 95 or something like that. You know, you know what I want? You know how old players always insist that they are better than yes. the current players? And it's the Without stupid, fail, yeah. One of the dumbest arguments ever, anyone ever gets into because you just can't compare players from two decades ago to players that are on the field now and then you go further back than that it's even more difficult because of the way the game has changed the way sports science and training have changed just a completely different Mm -hmm. setup but i'm waiting for a player from the 90s to argue that he's a better player than a player from the present because of the 99 madden rating like i I hope that's going to be a thing someday it should be is that an official stat is an official in Madden what way? rating? Yeah, it's real. People know about it. I mean, it counts. Oh. Is yeah. it an advanced metric? Is it a saber metric I think it sort would of be thing? A saber metric. Should it be taken into account for a Hall of Fame? Maybe. It, it could be part of the, the calculation mm-hmm. as far as Hall of Fame spots go. For me, that was all how I always knew. You know, growing up, who were good linemen? 
because you, know, you can watch football and when you're in elementary school and middle school and you can tell who the good you know receivers quarterbacks running backs whoever are but it as a you know adolescent observer it's hard to judge and still is even for us being being older now to judge you know who are the better offensive linemen madden was really the only way for me to know you know oh damian woody this, this guy must be pretty good so there's a couple other things too like there's a non-madden game that came out for playstation 2 and i want to say it was like back in 2003 2004 somewhere thereabouts i forget which game it was Was it like nfl game day or something like that it was the, it was yeah the, there's it was a the other one sports had their edition yeah I mean, nfl game day or game oh, whatever Ranger. they were calling that franchise at the time the thing that was flawed about that game in particular and it happens in in all of them i mean, you go back to like nfl 95 and and Deion sanders primetime football and sega genesis right. there would be glitchy players in there but what happened is you'd have a player who'd have like 99 speed because it was yep. like a track guy basically playing football. And then that player would be way better in the game mm. than he is in real life because 99 speed wouldn't be adequately offset by poor agility or right. poor vision or uh, bad hands or whatever it was. So then you could just take these guys who had one maxed out tool, yep. build a team with those guys and a few stars and your team was just unstoppable and even if you were playing in the framework of having to make fair trades and, and like build franchise mode teams that were allowed by the game, you could just make dominant teams too easily. Yeah, absolutely. And well, that's kind of how I like to play video games, though. I'm I'm definitely a you know beat the hell out of the computer a hundred to zero if you can type of guy. Oh, you like, which, like, which like running it up on the computer, upon, but it's just how it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, fond memories thinking of this. I mean, the Jags. I'm looking up right now. The 01 Jags were 95 overall. As what a team? What? They have this. They have. A, they have can make a claim for being the best team of all time based on that rating. You would think. Um, you know, I've personally made that claim a number of times, and you know, if the Music City Miracle goes the other way, uh, that Jags team. That might have been the year before, but if I mean that Jags team beats the Bills, no one was questioning that. that <laughs> uh this is this is going really well right um, i mean we don't want to get into too much jags history but they had three losses that year and all of them were the were the titans you should strongly consider starting a jags history podcast by the way like you, 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 every single there's, day there's not that much history we'd be done after like five episodes I mean, like we'd get back to 1995 and be like well that's it you you're not uh you're not thinking like you could have a whole josh scobie podcast like a whole Scobcast. series of of josh scobie episodes if you wanted to uh, Triandis Luke is the player I was thinking of that on one of those games on PlayStation Triandis 2. Luke? Yeah, he was he was just a, a complete burner. Like he played for mm-hmm. the Broncos. I don't think he ever really did much. Played at Alabama in college and was just ridiculous on one of the PlayStation 2 football games. Like he was unstoppable mm-hmm. if he got the ball into his hands, which was outrageous because you know obviously he didn't do much as an nfl player that guy for me was always oz hakeem but that's enough madden talk but at least oz hakeem like did have some like relevance as nfl player as part of the greatest show on turf true true never really that good but associated with a great team back to the quarterback job battles uh mark sanchez versus paxton lynch versus trevor simeon versus trust trevor simeon that's, that's yeah. a lot of that's where he is on the food chain right now Did you I call just, him travis i could call him travis trevor simeon uh you look at the three options there i i have a hard time seeing them actually playing trevor simeon like i don't think no, that's going I, to be a thing seems i think like an empty threat seems like it's sanchez if he plays as well as osweiler did or better he keeps the job yep. all season paxton lynch takes over next year if sanchez is at all like peyton manning of last year 
He gets about two games before Paxton Lynch gets an opportunity. Maybe, yep. maybe I'm just misreading it, but I, I don't. I'm not taking Trevor Simeon seriously. No, not. I think they just needed a third guy in case Sanchez gets hurt. They needed like a third guy to hang over Lynch's head. Yeah, so as to like, not just have to default like, to Lynch. Yeah, you still got to beat this guy out, um, and that guy just happens to be Travis Simeon. It's nice to do things the right way, the way the Broncos are mm-hmm. apparently trying to. Um, the Rams, Case Keenum versus Jared Goff. Is that actually a battle? I think Jared Goff just wins the job. Well, I mean, haven't they kind of said the same thing that that the Eagles have, and that like they wouldn't necessarily prefer to start him from day one? Do you want to play Case Keenum though? Well, no, certainly. I mean, I don't. But I mean, this kind of reminds me of the Jags with Blake Bortles in 2014. They had Chad Henney on the roster. They draft Bortles, a guy who they liked a lot. But it was, you know, the plan was very clearly in training camp. Henney's going to start this season. Bortles will take over next season. Week three, midway through, Bortles is already in. Starts the rest of the year. Yeah, I could kind of see that being the case here, I if, could, and I could see this being the case in Denver too with Lynch. Well, yeah, if Golf doesn't win the job for the opener week three week four right is, is all it's at some take. point they're just gonna kind of have the pressure of all right you know it's we're three and six uh we're not going anywhere with case keenum I mean, we might as well just try to salvage some development you know out of the out of this rookie you'd think they would know they're not going anywhere with case keenum without even seeing what jared goff can do one would think you but they, they open on a monday by the way they have the second monday night game you know they play the two in week one the rams at the niners is the nightcap do you think you're going to stay awake for that whole game? What's the start time? 9.20 Central. Oh, yeah. You're going to make it? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, you get a chance to see Case Keenum in prime time. So the Rams are on the road against San Francisco for the opener, home against Seattle, Win. road against Tampa Bay, Win. and then road against Arizona. So they could easily Welcome to LA. easily be 0-4. Yeah. And if, if Case Keenum starts... This is still a team that doesn't have any real receivers. Um, they have a very good running back who sometimes plays receiver in Tavon Austin. They have Kenny Britt as their number one. That's a bit of an issue. Uh, I like Farrell Cooper a ton, but I don't know where he tops out in the NFL. You know, probably a, maybe a pretty good receiver three. Uh, maybe could work his way into a receiver two. But I, there's nobody on this roster that I look at as oh, okay. There's a safety blanket for Jared Goff in year one. I, I don't know if maybe this is a position they target in the draft next season. I would think most likely uh, maybe they try to make a free agency addition. But I just I mean, having Todd Gurley and having Trey Mason is huge for a rookie quarterback you know, a reliable running game. But the weapons just aren't there. Trey Mason, by the way, one of the more unusual stories I think I've seen in a long time. It, he is not around at Rams camp like he has what? been absent from all team activities since early March. He's been uh, um, arrested for multiple violations. He's got some really strange personal issues that have led his family to express some concern. So I don't think Trey Mason's really going to do anything this year for the Rams. Hopefully he ends up being okay because it seems like a legitimately kind of scary situation for him. Do you know his dad was in De La Soul? No, no I did not know that. Well, more I, facts coming at you on the Road Aware Fantasy Football Podcast. That fact almost just broke the entire podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the Rams go, though, I I think it's golf from day one. I, I mean, if, if it's not, then... That Bortles plan you unleashed is probably what happens. That their schedule is brutal. I, is. I, I had not looked at their schedule prior to today. Yep. It's a terrible way to start their season. So maybe that'd be a reason to back off Goff for the first month, and then for that home game uh, against mm-hmm. the Texans. I think after that first four games, maybe you go back and make yeah. the move there. Uh, San Francisco, though, I mean, in that opener against the Rams, 
your boy, Blaine Gabbert, or Colin Kaepernick? Who's it going to be? I hope we see a, a two-quarterback system where they're just going in and out like every down. It's like, all right, if we want to pass, we're going to throw Gabbert in. If we want to run, we're going to throw Kaepernick in. Um, I, I mean, this is another one of those situations that we – uh, that we kind of talked about with Miami, where I don't see this as being a super productive, appealing situation. No matter who wins the job, you know, you're not you're not looking at this San Francisco offense and and saying, man, there's going to be so much production. Whoever gets this job, I think in Denver you can kind of say that just because of the receivers and because of the continuity coming off of the Super Bowl. Um, but I, this is going to be a bad San Francisco team. It's going to be a, a really bad San Francisco offense, regardless of, of who's at the helm. But in the same vein as we talked about with RG3, I hope Kaepernick wins it just for the, the drama slash fun perspective. I think you're selling Blaine Gabbert a little short. And, and part of that is that um, I've been no. selling him short. Look at his numbers from last year for a second. He actually I'm, he's I'm, more I'm, mobile I'm, I'm than Sam him. Bradford, which is, is like saying that water is wet. Yeah. But I, I understand that this is a player that had a 7.2 YPA on a bad team last year. Now he's working with a coach and Chip Kelly who made Nick Foles really good at some point, like somehow. I don't know how that even ever happened, but it did. And last year, Gabbert, 5.8 yards per carry, ran it 32 times. The running is what's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he he had like how many yards total? I'm trying to find them. Basically like 180 100, yards yeah. in three years with the Jaguars, and he, he basically in a half season half a season last year in a half season and his completion percentage was up at 63.1 percent so so jaded from what i saw from 2011 to 2013 that it's hard to ever get back on that train well what's the madden rating on blaine gabbert's supporting cast from 2011 to 2013 in jacksonville i mean not good cracking 50 are we not good hey i mean he did have justin blackman for one of those years you got to remember that um uh, other I, than that i, I, I forgot because I, I forgot justin blackman yeah. existed other than the nfl seems to have forgotten he existed yeah I, I, that's a topic for another maybe a josh goby podcast but uh yeah i mean that was not a team you ever wanted to use on madden the jaguars have not been a a formidable madden team in a good like seven years yeah they were good when they were new that was the fun right. thing is like they were new and they are actually pretty yeah they, they came in hot and they've they've kind of slowly cooled off i guess since then yasiel puig regression Puig of nfl teams all right let's move on to some running back job battles atlanta technically a job battle even though Devontae freeman is the guy for now uh tevin coleman before he got hurt last year had this job so if tevin coleman doesn't get hurt in week one are we talking about tevin coleman as a guy that's going top 10 top 15 picks in drafts right now and that's the kind of thing that we will just never know yeah Freeman's one of those players I know Mario Puig liked him coming out of Florida State and compared to other backs something Peter Schenke wrote a blog about compared to other backs who have done what Freeman did last year the price the ADP is lower than normal so much clearly the market has some some kind of uh, skeptical view of what Freeman might bring to the table yeah and but it's interesting because he's still going sixth among running backs in NFFC ADP so even if those concerns are real you know people are trusting him over Lamar Miller over Jamal Charles over Eddie Lacy Doug Martin so it is interesting to see you know certainly like like you mentioned in Pete's blog post which you can find uh, on the Rotowire blog you are getting him at a discount compared to the production but if this is really so much of a concern you know and like you said Tevin Coleman kind of had this job it, it looked like at the beginning of last season before the injury you know if Tevin Coleman even cuts into this workload you know if it's 70 30 if it's 65 35 we're probably not looking at Devontae Freeman as a borderline top five running back which could be a little bit scary yeah that would be a pretty big drop so I don't know I I I assume this is not a real job battle but I'm also part of that group that's not 
crazy about paying up for Devontae mm-hmm. Freeman because I, I do think Tevin Coleman's a very good player, and it could end up being a scenario where they are much more in a timeshare than you would expect based on, on Freeman's performance a year ago. Right. Uh, in Baltimore, Kenneth Dixon is banged up now. That hurts him quite a bit. So it's probably Justin Forsett and Javorius Allen to begin the year. I actually kind of like whoever emerges to take on the bulk of the snaps. And I, my lean is Forsett, even though he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's going to have a starting job very long this year. But I look at the Ravens and I look at the way they're built. They're going to need their running back to catch a lot of passes. And then pass protection is going to be important. And in those situations, I tend to err on the side of veterans. So with that, I think Forsett comes away with the job at least to begin the year. Probably keeps it for at least half the season as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, I mean, where are you looking at if you're if you're going to target him in a draft? I mean, are you comfortable with him being your second running back? Not really. I mean, I think that's how the Stopa Law Firm League played out, but that's mm-hmm. an auction. Right. In any sort of snake draft scenario, I'm not necessarily targeting him as much as I'm looking at him as a fallback, as my third and hopefully fourth running back. If you've got two in a flex and he's your next guy up, I'm okay with that. Uh, the price right now on Justin Forsett, compared to even Allen and Dixon, is pretty low. Very low. Um, it's a little a little above those two guys, but they're all outside the top 100 in terms of ADP. Forsett's the 38th running back coming off the board in NFFC drafts right now and those are full point PPR leagues too so I'm a little surprised he's that cheap because if you look at him compared to I mean even like a Jay Ajayi type I mean you gotta look at I mean just looking at these NFFC ADPs you got multiple teams that have two guys before any Ravens are going off the board I mean Cleveland almost has two going before him Jacksonville obviously the Cincinnati guys Um, so I think I think people are one not high on this Baltimore running game two not really sure who's going to end up getting the carries yeah I mean I understand the lack of of clarity from how they're going to handle Allen versus Forsett and eventually Dixon will be in the mix but it shouldn't be a bad offense for whichever back mm. emerges to get the bulk of the opportunities now if they split it evenly if Forsett's more of a third down back and you see a lot of Allen on first to the second down then that could be a pretty ugly sort of timeshare but I do think Forsett has shown us that given the opportunity he can exceed uh, expectations it's a low enough price where I'm, I'm certainly yeah. not afraid to kick the tires uh, but it's weird too though it's kind of like the price on Rashad Jennings like Rashad Jennings is not a bad player health is usually the problem for him but he's going around the same time as four that's set a good comp I mean I'm happy with either one of those guys as my fourth back if that's the price yeah yeah absolutely I, I think when you're looking at a guy who could be a potential starter you know for what could be like you said a decent offense I think you're more than happy to grab him in that role so in Chicago, do you look at Jeremy Langford versus like Jordan Howard as an actual battle? Kadeem carries in there too. Yeah, I mean it's certainly a battle. It's not an appealing battle. If you were looking at Langford, I think I asked Jake Latarski the same question on the XM show. But the price on Jeremy Langford's kind of similar to what Melvin Gordon costs right now. And if you're in the market for a running back at that point in your draft, probably your third running back in that mm-hmm. spot. Do you take Langford or do you take Melvin Gordon? Given the way their respective depth charts and offenses are, are set up. I think I take Melvin Gordon, you know, invoking the he can't be possibly any worse than he was last year clause. Um, you know, and there's the thing about Melvin Gordon is you know there's a built-in timeshare already. You know, with with Jeremy Langford, there is still that chance that he, you know, really grabs hold of this job and has a great year. With Gordon, you know that, that Danny uh Danny Woodhead's going to be in there in certain passing situations, but yeah, at some point you have to look at the investment I think that San Diego made in him. They're not going to pull the plug after one year. Even if he comes out to a slow start, they're not going to pull the plug on him when you drafted him that highly. So I think they're going to, the Chargers are going to do everything they can 
for Melvin Gordon to, to have a successful second season, to get him in the end zone, to get him going on on long runs. I mean, this is a guy I think we talked about last week. His longest run last season was something like what, 25, 27 yards. I mean, and certainly you can't compare it, you know, to running all over Purdue or Indiana like he did at Wisconsin. But, you know, that was his hallmark as a running back is, you know, he, he can get through that first level and he can break off these long runs. And that's just we didn't see any semblance of that really last year. I still think a lot of it is the offensive line. Yeah. They were 31st in run blocking in San Diego last year. And if that improves and he's healthy, that's the other big question. Is he fully healthy coming off knee surgery? He says he has the same explosiveness he had pre-surgery. We'll see if that actually holds up once he's back. Anytime a Wisconsin running back doesn't succeed, blame the offensive line. Blame blame the Ron Dane should still be in the league. Blame the offensive line at Wisconsin for being too good at right, the time yeah. the player was in college too and, and skewing. Yeah, they're the inflating they're inflating. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, stop stop Wisconsin running back inflation. Uh, one more breaking news item before we sign off. We'll save the receiver and tight end job battles for a different episode this week. Uh, Michael Silver uh, is uh, at Sports Illustrated, one of the lead writers over there, and says he's been told by a source familiar with the situation that Chargers receiver Stevie Johnson has a torn meniscus and he's going to have surgery soon, which Stevie Johnson's not going to be a guy that takes a a huge number of targets but he's gonna have a significant role if healthy in that offense or would have if he recovers i don't really know if there's a, a timetable for him to get back it seems like the ir designated to return might be where he ends yeah. up but to me that just opens up more targets for a guy like travis benjamin who in that offense could put up even better numbers than he did while getting a lot of targets last year in Cleveland. I mean, is he your number one sleeper wide receiver at this point? It's getting it's getting almost to the point where I don't even know if you can call him a sleeper. Yeah, I, th- I think people within the industry and, and people that follow fantasy, I mean, this is a guy I've been hearing about You know, doing 120 last week. Everybody was harping on him there. We've harped on him on the show, on the podcast. Um, I mean, I, at this point, I almost wonder if the hype is a little bit too high, and, and it hasn't necessarily reflected uh, in his ADP so I guess maybe the answer to that is no but um, you know it's getting to the point where I don't necessarily view him as a breakout guy as much as it's going to be viewed as a disappointment if he doesn't have a huge year yeah I mean right now our projection for him which was assuming a healthy Stevie Johnson was a step back from last season Mm -hmm. albeit with a big step up in efficiency going from uh, 7.7 yards per target last year to 9.3 because you imagine Benjamin being the guy that really just tries to run those deep routes and if Rivers can find him downfield he'll make big plays the way he did last year I mean of his 68 catches last year 13 went for 20 or more yards six went for 40 or more yards so that's how explosive Travis Benjamin can be and he did that in Cleveland he did that in Cleveland with major quarterback concerns so if you think about him now in a more stable offense one that maybe has to keep airing it out too I don't really look at the San Diego defense is one that's going to take a massive step forward this year I see the case for that volume going up even if Stevie Johnson were healthy now that Johnson's hurt another 125 targets could be on tap that's what he had last season and then you think about maybe the per target numbers going up as far as the yardage and then maybe even more catches too because the quality of quarterback play is up maybe there is a case to be made for benjamin as this year's biggest sleeper receiver Uh, i think the adp is going to start to reflect that though because it's not it's not hard to make that conclusion based on all these factors that we're discussing yeah that's the thing is it's kind of what i was hinting at at the beginning is it's it's almost getting too obvious i think you know great situation he goes from arguably maybe the worst quarterbacking situation in the league to from a fantasy perspective maybe a top five uh, quarterback situation so that'll certainly be interesting I mean do you like this San Diego team overall as a you know the AFC West I wouldn't say it's wide open but with Denver 
expected to take a step back and you look at what's going on and kind of in that backfield it's going to be pretty much inevitable I think that they're not as dominant as they've been over the last three four years I mean how open one is the AFC West and and two are the Chargers legitimate threat to to make the playoffs I think they are kind of in the same tier as the Jets however you yep. look at the Jets that's about where you probably value the Chargers like a, like a Jets Chargers uh wild card game yeah like those are maybe the two teams that are five and six yeah. in the AFC when it's all said and done because Denver's defense is so good it's hard to imagine and again unless maybe they lose like one of their top two receivers they lose Von Miller something that really just kind of takes a significant chunk of what they do away from them mm-hmm. I can't really see them failing to win that division as it's currently built but the Chargers to me seem a little better than the Raiders both of those teams are solid and then the Chiefs to me are, are kind of that team I can never get a good read on no, Andy Reid tends to overachieve was that, a, was, that a, was that a Andy Reid pun no Huh. No, that was not. That was an accidental pun, really. I mean, because I guess it, by definition, is one. But anyway, you, you look at this division, and you could see every team kind of finishing between seven and nine, and nine and seven. Like even if Denver is the best team in the division, yep. it might be a grind for them to get it done. Right? They might win. They might win the division at nine and seven, and still have a defense good enough for them to win a Super Bowl. Like that's the kind of team they they might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these teams could all kind of end up beating up on each other. You know, it's hard for me to look at one team and say, you know, this is this is the team that's going to kind of take the torch from Denver. You know, like you said, it wouldn't be surprising at all if we get to week 14, week 15, and nothing's really settled in this in this AFC West whatsoever. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this installment of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Jake and Eric are back with you on Tuesday.